All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City here on March 28, 2017. Before I talk about today's show, let me remind you that I am the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, and that you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Or you can call our office at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours here in New York City. I'd like to also uh, suggest you consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter. Uh, you can subscribe to Chen's letter at chenpicks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Golden Predator, Chilean Metals, Arvista Gold Corp., Dynasert, Trimetals Mining, Novo Resources, Uranium Energy Corp., and RN Resources. Now, with regard to our sponsors, I should mention that Dynasert uh, had been halted following the company's AGM last Friday, but just before this show, uh, before showtime today, the stock reopened and it reopened uh, up some 25% in New York, at least in the over-the-counter markets. Uh, and uh, when I looked, it was trading on very heavy volume in Canada. And uh, you know, I think this is a quick. This this story is quickly becoming a very exciting one. Uh, it is a non-mining story, uh, one of the few on our list and one of the few among our sponsors. But it is a very exciting story in, in terms of reducing uh, the energy consumption and reducing uh, carbon emissions and so forth. So uh, a tremendous growth opportunity, I think, in front of this company is uh, we'll be talking to the CEO of, the, of uh, DynaCert sometime in the near future. This week, I want to advise you that I have started a weekly podcast titled Top Stock Picks. And you can follow that at jtaylormedia.com. Each week, I plan to interview one of my fellow Mining Share newsletter writer competitors from from the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver. Now, each week, one or two of uh, the members on that list will discuss one or two of their top stock picks and tell you why they like those those uh, those companies. And I started the podcast this week with Eric Coffin. And one of Eric's top picks is Adamera Minerals. It was exploring for, well, they were looking for a relatively small gold deposit in western Washington state. Uh, but in f- fact, what they think they may have now is a sedimentary hosted gold model, a uh, gold deposit that could be very, very large. So it's a stock that's selling around 10 cents in U.S. money, and it's one uh, I think is worth taking a look at. Uh, And, of course, I uh, cover that one in my newsletter as well. As Vendetta Mining Corp., the other favorite of Eric's, 
this is a nickel play out of Australia, and uh, it is one that's uniquely uh, situated, we believe, to, uh, Eric believes, and I share that view, uh, to do extremely well in the uh, in the nickel bull market that it just seems to now starting to be uh, to to, to uh, become obvious, uh, and that's a stock that's selling around seventeen cents. Well, you might laugh at penny stocks, but uh, those of you who follow this market, uh, the um, the metals, the junior metals market, know that when these things get hot, ten baggers are certainly not out of the uh, are not all that unusual in a bull market. So I think these are two prospects, and Eric. Coffin. If you go to mining stocks, or excuse me, go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, you can hear, uh, listen to why Eric thinks these are two special companies that you might want to take a look at. The other newsletter writers who speak at the Metals Investor Forum are Brent Cook, Joe Masmeter, uh, Gwen Preston, John Kaiser, Brian London, and uh, Jordan Roy Byrne. And uh, so they'll each be taking their turn on this podcast, and Chen Lin also. Uh, will be part of that. I've invited him to come along as well. Uh, so I hope that you'll uh, listen. And, and actually, you can listen to those uh, those podcasts. The first two are already up at Jay Taylor Media. They're there now uh, if you'd like to go and listen to it. Now, though, I hope you'll wait until after this show. Today's show is titled Profiting from this Impending Stock Market Decline. And uh, Kevin Duffy, Michael Oliver, and Bill Sheriff are this our guests this week. Uh, Kevin Duffy is going to talk to us why he thinks we're in an equity bear market, how you can protect yourself against that. And uh, Bill Sheriff is going to talk about Golden Predator, one of the hot stocks in the junior gold space these days. And um, so Bill will be with us right after the first break. But you don't have to wait. Michael Oliver is with us now uh, with just uh, about four minutes left in this sector. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Oh, good to be here, Jay. You know, Michael, uh, the market economies, the, the markets themselves are very, very complicated. And uh, President Trump wants to see an increase in exports, and he says the dollar needs to come down. On the other hand, Janet Yellen and the Fed seem determined on raising interest rates, which should increase the value of the dollar. So we can try to figure out how this is all going to happen, but it's impossible, which is why I like to listen to you and, and hear what your momentum strategies are telling us. What are you views on the dollar and the euro now, because I know you felt that the dollar was precariously close to some sort of a major decline. Yeah, late in uh, last year, we defined a level for this year that if the dollar got there, especially a monthly close at this level or lower, uh, we would turn bearish. Uh, It's a level that violates uh, a decade, more than a decade old, momentum uptrend on annual momentum of the dollar index. But the major player in that's got to be the euro, because euro is 57% weighted into the dollar index, a trade-weighted partner. So um, the number was 99 the dollar index has spent the last couple of years, once it got over 100 back in 2015, oscillating in a sideways range, roughly 10% band, almost even less than that, uh, wandering around, but keeping the sentiment that the dollar is still a bull. Uh, and make no mistake, we're flexible on the dollar. We turned very bullish in 2011 when it was in the 70s and said we'd go to 100. So at 100, we said, get out, we're neutral. Now, if we break 99 and we've traded below it this week, Traded in 98.85, I think was the low. We're back above 99. If it closes a month at 99 or lower, we are of the view that the dollar index has topped. It's headed down. Euro is likely headed up. Euro has done some good things for itself in the last week or so, but I'm still waiting on the dollar index as that second opinion. 
and I mm-hmm. want to see that 99 level closed at or below on a monthly basis or traded significantly below. Uh, this obviously would help commodities as well if that happened. Uh, the reasons for it, we can debate. It's like you said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sides. But uh, yeah, but your your momentum uh, your momentum statistics there are very helpful, Michael. And that would be bullish. Then I imagine for gold too. How are you seeing gold right now? You did put out okay. a missive on March twenty third. And you, I you like see- what it's done this week. Now, you know, yeah. there's some uh, guys who will risk a nickel in front of a freight train and sell it because the high uh, five weeks ago was uh, 1264, so we get the 1261 this week. There is three bucks, see if they can make 30 bucks or something. I think by getting back to the top tick, in effect, 1260, that we, were, we dropped $60 from, then came roaring back up there. I think that's very healthy. You know, whether we're going to close. Uh, in a way that we can launch this week, I don't know. You need to close, I think, 12.50 or higher the week, the week, not a day. And for silver, I looked at it, and it looks like 18.20 or higher. And that's we've reached there today on the May contract. So they're both, you know, if you can close the week around today's highs, then I'd say, well, we're probably going to push on through that level. But a lot of markets, like, again, the dollar, are sitting on these huge fences. In the case of gold, it's not so huge. In the case of the dollar, it's massive. All if right, they can well, break below that level. A lot of things are going to shift because the dollar. A lot of, yeah, a lot of tectonic plates are going to shift, and we're going to have some major moves in the market. It will wake people up. Well, thank you, Michael. We're out of time already, folks. It's Oliver MSA. Oliver MSA. Go there to learn more about Michael's work. Don't go away. Right after the break, Bill Sheriff will be with us to talk about Golden Predator. It's a company with a high-grade gold discovery in the Yukon. A very exciting story. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Bill Sheriff. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian Venture Market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high-potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. 
Tri-Metals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Tri-Metals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. Tri-Metals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. Tri-Metals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me for the first time Bill Sheriff. Uh, he's the executive chairman of Golden Predator Mining Corp., and that's a company that trades in Canada under the symbol GPY. Today, he's selling at about $1.45 in Canadian money, and you can buy it in the United States, as I have, under the symbol NTGSF, selling at about $1.10 this, uh, this day. It's giving it a market cap of around $100 million in U.S. money, so it's, uh, it, it's not a nearly as small as some of the companies we talk about on this show, but it is uh, still small compared to where I think it might be heading, which is why I continue to own the stock myself and why I continue to recommend it to my subscribers, Jay Taylor. Jay Taylor's uh, gold energy and tech stocks. Bill is an entrepreneur, a visionary with over 30 years experience in the minerals industry and the securities industry, and he was a founder and previous chairman, chief executive officer of Golden Predator Corp., which some of you may remember. Prior to founding Golden Predator, uh, he was a, a pioneer in the uranium uh, sector as well, and he is a geologist uh, with a a real scientist, but also an entrepreneur. And um, this is a story really that's quite well known to my subscribers and uh, one that I'm glad to uh, to talk about because uh, I recommended it at 13 cents about a year ago actually on my birthday on March 25th 2016 so one year later it's worth a dollar ten so uh, thank you very much Bill and thanks for joining me today oh thanks Jay and thanks uh, to you and, and your subscribers for being early on on the story I think what we've got here is one of the premier exploration stories in the world and certainly within North America well it certainly is exciting uh, you know if you like high grade you've got high grade and you've got it seems lots of it although you haven't quantified that yet talk to us a, a little bit about maybe give our listeners a little sense of the history of this project and called the three aces project in the Yukon and um, you know a little bit about what you're planning to do with it and when we might start to see perhaps start to get a sense of the economics or the potential economics of the project Sure, I'll be glad to address that. First off, the property has uh, grown from 200 square kilometers, which is huge, to uh, now 350 square kilometers, uh, you know, in excess of the size of New York City, uh, for sure. And uh, we, we now have uh, taken the property over and done a tremendous amount of work. Uh, we first got the property in 2014 uh, from a predecessor company, Northern Tiger. They, they had uh, done the initial work on it between 2009 and 2012 before running out of money. Uh, which many of us companies did uh, during the mining depression there, the 2011, 12, 13, 14. 
basically, uh, we were able to merge with them at that point, uh, came in. They had done some bulk sampling, that is taking three one-ton samples of various grade material from the two veins that were known on the property. Even though it's such a big property, there were only two veins that were known or exposed. Uh, there were certainly suggestions of many more uh, because they had done a, a very, very good uh, soil geochem study on 25-meter centers mm -hmm. uh, covering uh, probably the better part of 100 square kilometers. Within that, they identified an 11 square kilometer area that we call the central core anomaly, and, and this is uh, where we've done all of our work uh, to date. And uh, that's, that's where the real excitement is, is generated. One of the things they did is they, they had proven that the only gold you get on the properties within quartz veins. That mm -hmm. is to say, none of, it's none of it's disseminated or in limestones or any of that. So it's quite simple uh, in terms of geology. If you don't have quartz veins, you don't have gold. So oh, okay. uh, we've, we've got two other rock types. One's black, one's brown. So it stands out visually as well as chemically. Uh, what we did uh, was realize that uh, even though the property is accessible by a year-round uh, road, uh, a highway actually in the Yukon, uh, the Canton Road, the property lies on the other side of about a 100-foot-wide uh, raging river. Hmm. So all the work done prior to us was done with helicopters, which meant two things. High cost, and uh, you, you were limited to small equipment, and also limited to just working in the south. And uh, so that these things were impediments to the development of the property. And so what we set out to do was uh, build a bridge. And it's a pretty bold move for your first exploration stuff, really. But uh, based on what we've seen there and the amount of gold in the veins, uh, multiple ounce per ton in, in the veins that were outcropping, uh, it was the only sensible move. So we brought in at that time uh, Rob McEwen, Al Freeberg, uh, Patty Capo. We raised uh, $4 million, about almost a million of it went to building the bridge and, and uh, providing good access roads. Uh, that was completed in the first week of September 2016, and we have been, uh, from that time until October 25th, so just literally seven weeks, we put in 10 kilometers of roads and almost as many uh, kilometers of trenches. Mm. Uh, all, all digging in and without and trying to explore that central core anomaly of 11 square kilometers of soil geochem. We made it through about half of it, uh, so we got the other half remaining to look at this year, but we had uh, tremendous success in, in our efforts, uh, having outlined 28 additional veins. And when we say veins, we mean uh, veins of a meter or more in width. Uh, we have uh, one as, as wide as 10 meters, uh, typically they're two or three. But... Um, one, a one meter wide vein is simply wide enough uh, to, to consider mining if you have mm -hmm. the right grade. Um, of course, we're nowhere near determining anything's economics or, or grade uh, suitable for mining yet, but just to illustrate, we only count the veins that are a meter in width or more. Sure. So our program developed 28 of those, um, plus the two that were already known. So we had 30 targets going into a late drill program. Once the snow blanketed the uh, ground and we couldn't see any longer for trenching, uh, we turned to drilling. And we drilled between October 25th and December 14th, uh, 54 holes, 52 of which got to target depth. All of those results have been announced now. They were drilled in five different areas on the property, uh, the spades, the hearts, and the clubs, uh, three different targets of the clubs. Had uh, very, very good uh, success at the spade zone, had uh, better success at the heart zone. And uh, we had some encouragement, uh, to be sure, at one of the club zones where we intersected very high-grade gold, uh, 40, 50 grams per ton, hmm. although, over my, although over narrower intervals. And we think we're very high on that target. So, you know, for a first-pass drilling program, I think the results were stunning. And 
know, our predecessors have drilled a, a bit here and there, but we're going in with a very large diameter drilling because the gold is so coarse and so nuggety that you have a sampling problem. And without getting into too much detail, if you don't drill a big enough hole, if you don't take a big enough sample, if you don't take thorough enough sampling means, you're, you're not going to get a reliable gold number. And uh, to that end, we're, uh, we, we spend probably 40% of as much on assaying as we do on our drilling, which is right. a very, very high number of Right, you've done a bulk sampling too. Uh, do do you get the sense that maybe when you finally, when mining finally takes place, that your actual grades could be higher than than what your drill, even your wide core drill, is indicating? Well, we do. We we see that indication based on those three one-ton samples that our predecessor had taken. Actually, we mm-hmm. actually paid to have those processed at SGS Labs, which is an independent uh, company. And uh, they went through and established this protocol for sampling, uh, which is one we uh, utilized involving uh, two uh, two kilogram metallic screens on any of our uh, anomalous gold samples. Um, but even they noted that in their actual recovery, once the samples were processed in their entirety, the actual recovery was oftentimes 15, 20% greater than that uh, indicated by even the best sampling methods uh, that they used. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's only three sample spots. So, you know, you can't say that it's definitive across the whole property, but there's certainly indications that uh, whatever sampling technique we use may, may underestimate the goal. Bill, I understand you, you say there's no dissemination between veins, I guess, and so that really means you're, uh, you're really mining the veins, I guess. There's, it's not a prospective open pit, large open pit uh, target here then, I guess, right? Well, with the exception of when you get areas where these veins are close enough together or when they are lying parallel to the ground surface at a very shallow depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a couple of instances of both of these that we may indeed have some open pit targets. Uh, it wouldn't be giant open pits like you see in the copper mining industry or anything like that. There may be some small um, uh, targets of opportunity, if you will, that become open pits. Uh, but the vast majority of the target, the vast majority of the project is going to be focused on uh, you know, high-grade underground veins. Right, and they're, and they're, I mean, for the most part, these all come up to surface, right? These are surface targets for the most part to start with. So you're not, it's not as if you're going to have to spend a lot of money getting to some great depth to start accessing the ore. Well, I guess what's up to start on, these are called orogenic veins, and, and these do come very close to the surface, if not at the surface. They at least some of them do. Some of them are, are a lot deeper as well, as we found some buried veins uh, that don't outcrop uh, in our drilling. Um, so there's, there's just going to be a large number of them, that's clear. And there's certainly somebody that started on. Dorogenic veins, uh, typically, and we haven't drilled more than 200 uh, meters on ours yet, uh, but typically these uh, tend to have great persistence with depth. So uh-huh. in terms of a geologic model, we're quite upper, uh, you know, optimistic that we'll see some continuation of depth. That you just don't know until you uh, drill the holes. And, uh, All right, so... This year. Okay, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about your drill program and, and when we might start to see or when you might be able to come out with some 43101 resource. Do you have a target date for that or, or not? We don't. We don't, Jay. It's just so early. Um, and we don't want to pigeonhole it by putting out a premature number on a very small portion of the properties. Um, you know, we, this, this project is a district-scale potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned 350 square kilometers. Uh, we're, we're working on right now about five square kilometers of that, so, you know, essentially a percent and a half of the property. We've got uh, similar geology throughout the entire 45-kilometer length of the property. 
not to say it's all going to be more, it certainly won't be, but uh, it's favorable for uh, these type of deposits, and we do have anomalous soils and rocks uh, all along the 45-kilometer uh, length of the property. So there's a whole lot of exploration ahead of us. Yeah. And we're going to be doing a bit of that this summer. We'll be doing regional recon, regional soils, developing new targets all throughout the entire property, but the vast majority of the effort, uh, both in terms of manpower and dollars, will be going in advancing this drill program. Uh, we'll probably average three drill rigs turning this year. Uh, we only have one now because it's still, uh, still winter up there, so 30 below two days ago. So, okay. So what is... Not, it, not, uh, not, not spring yet, but... Uh, so we'll, we'll probably drill... Uh, you know, we were budgeted for 20,000 meters, and that was before our recent uh, successful oversubscribed you know, financing, which brought $17 million into the Treasury, so... We haven't put out an exact number on where we're going with our drill plans, but it'll be uh, significantly in excess of 20,000 meters given that budget and given the fact that we have uh, more targets than we have money to drill even now. So I think you'll see uh, rapid advancement along the drilling. Uh, I look for news releases uh, every four to six weeks in terms of uh, drill results. And, of course, those are variable factor in terms of timing because of transportation and then the, the samples to the lab here. Again, we have a very... Uh, extensive sampling protocol that takes extra time. So we're looking at generally a four to six week turnaround and we'll get those out, uh, you know, as soon as we can process them. But it, but it should be steady news flow because we'll be drilling from now up until and through uh, the middle of December and then we'll take uh, another month or a month and a half long break and, and start again uh, in February 18th. To address your question about a resource, uh, we're, we're going to take this a little differently. We're going to actually be, uh, I believe, the first company go uh, with total transparency, and that is we will actually have a downloadable file that's not there yet, but we're looking to have it implemented by the end of the second quarter. Downloadable file that uh, anyone that wants to can come and download uh, all of our data and plop it in their own program and, mm-hmm. and do their own modeling. Now, that won't have much effect to your retail investors, but what it does do is it provides the utmost in transparency and it allows all of the analysts and uh, many of the mining companies uh, and a lot of the independent analysis to actually see what we see with... Uh, you know, without most companies just release what they want you to see. So um, by, by virtue of this, they'll be able to see everything and the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they'll be able to make up their own minds in terms of where the resource is going. Well, that's... We've chosen this approach just primarily because we've got so much to drill. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't want to actually stop and take the four to six months that it might take to get a resource uh, right. uh, estimate out on a small portion of the property when we'd much rather make uh, progress uh, boldly moving forward on more, more targets. Oh. Well, that's an excellent idea, actually, because the uh, the professionals, uh, the geos, the guys that are able to go in there and start to picture it and and calculate resources on their own, will uh, will start to factor that into their own to their own recommendations and purchases, I suppose, and should and should help uh, retail investors secondarily. I would think. I thought, I'm really happy to hear you say that. I wasn't aware that you were planning to do that. Just maybe one message, uh, one uh, a word or two, Bill, about. Your infrastructure is pretty strong up there. You have good access, I believe. What about uh, what about energy costs and some of those issues that we oftentimes think about in regions, uh, more secluded regions? Well, energy costs. Uh, you know, our, our grandchildren will not see this area go on good power. It's it is a you know we we can drive to it. Uh, you know, three hundred sixty-five days a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is not going to be a you know electric pole driven down that road in the you know in, in our grandchildren's lifetime probably. Um, that being said, um, not too worried about it. High grade takes care of a lot of things, and mm-hmm. uh, of course a lot of your high. You know, so your alternative, of course, would be to uh, be be looking at 
you know, either diesel gen sets or, or some sort of liquefied uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas, mm-hmm. big enough to have its own infrastructure. All of these things cost two to three times what grid power does, but uh, and when you have the healthy grades that we have, uh, and uh, you're looking at an underground mine where your, your usage is not that great, I think you're going to find that it's uh, less of a consideration than in most mining instances. Right. Well, you you certainly do have an, an awful large target to shoot at, and I mean, as you mentioned, uh, what what did you say? Five uh, square kilometers over three hundred and fifty, or something like that. Uh, of course. Um, so you'll be doing some recon on a on a larger area later this year, I guess, and uh, we'll look forward to that as well. And of course, I guess the well, driver we, then. We see this. Yeah, we see this just developing. You know, we find new targets each year. We pro- pro- progress those through. Uh, the ones we find this year will be progressed next winter, just as the ones we found last year. And the uh, an evolving uh, system, systematic exploration of the district, and I, I think we'll see a lot more pleasant surprises than negative. But uh, that's what we see at this point. Yeah, well, so the driver will be the driver for the share price is going to be continuous flow of of drill of drill results and uh, well it's, it's so far it's been very very exciting no doubt about it well you have one other project an advanced stage project that certainly has to be worth something to your company and that's the brewery creek mine could you just comment take 30 seconds or a minute to talk about sure. about that and, and what sure. your plans are for that be glad to jay uh, the brewery creek mine was the world's first subarctic heat leach open pit mine uh, it was run by viceroy from 1996 to 2002 at which time it uh, was put on hiatus due to uh, low gold prices, uh, a hedge running out, and depleting reserves. Uh, we came in in 2009 and picked that up and ran it from about 100,000 ounces of, of oxide resource up to the current uh, 43101, which uh, will be included indicated and inferred as uh, north of 800,000 ounces at uh, just a little over a gram per ton, which for first world countries is a pretty good grade for uh, uh, oxide leachable gold. The property uh, does still have some of its operational permits in terms of the water license. It would need to go through re-permitting, though, which is about a two-year process uh, in order to attain, attain production again. Uh, it would be a relatively modest capex from what uh, previous studies were done. There's a, a PDA done in 2014 that's uh, on the website. But anyway, as these things go, it's uh, on, the, on the less expensive side. Uh, so we think it offers a lot of opportunity to a mid-sized company to come in and uh, maybe drill for a year, get the get the resource up over a million ounces. Uh, you know, we were hitting 70 or 80 percent of our exploration holes when we uh, shut down due to lack of funds in 2012. So we know there's more there. We just don't know how much. And um, in fact, in, in some metallurgical testing earlier this year, we got the best grade that we've seen on the property just doing some metallurgical testing. So uh, we. You know, there's still still some life in the, in the project, for sure, and I think you'll see it return to production over the course of the next few years. We aren't miners, and, and to that end, we, we hope to joint venture it with a, a proven company that has production capabilities. Mm-hmm. It's clearly not big enough for Newmont and Barrick, but there's a whole host of small and intermediate-sized uh, uh, producers that uh, you know, fit nicely in their portfolio. Sure. The people that we have begun discussions with, and hopefully we'll find a home for it. Yeah. And we'll keep a retain, we, we keep a retained interest in, in what they're on with the project. Okay. A retained interest of some kind of joint venture or at least an NSR, I suppose, right? I think we'd um, prefer to have a, uh, you know, an actual participating uh, interest that carried the production. Sure. Excellent. Well, it's really an exciting story, Bill. I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time to share this with our listeners. Anything else you might want to add before we conclude our discussion today? No, I just uh, I think it's... Uh, I think we summed it all up. It's just going to be uh, drilling, advancing, uh, 
things as well as new discoveries uh, in terms of trenching and, and mapping and geochemical and all those aren't quite as exciting. They'll lead to more drilling next year and, and even more. So it's uh, just a very compelling building story and uh, all of us are quite excited about it. Very good. Well, we'll be uh, certainly keeping an eye on it. I will be because I own shares. It's of interest to me and my subscribers and hopefully uh, some of our listeners here as well. Well, uh, thank you very much again, Bill, for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away. We do have to go to commercial break now, but when we come back, Kevin Duffy, a very successful hedge fund manager who's done exceedingly well during bear markets and also during gold bull markets. So if you're interested in these markets, you're going to want to stick around and hear what Kevin has to say. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRP. RPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Arvista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Arvista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com. Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Kevin Duffy of Bearing Asset Management. The Bearing Asset Management Fund has made a name for itself uh, well, during the last major downturn, 
During that financial crisis, it, it positioned itself on the short side of the market, and it also, I believe, owned some gold and gold shares during that time. And if memory serves me correctly, the fund actually posted a triple-digit gain for at least one of those years. It did extremely well. Almost everybody else was basically losing half or worse of their uh, portfolios. So it's with that in mind, I, I want to say thanks for joining me today, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Jay, and I uh, want to wish you a happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. Um, it is always good to uh, to have another year, and uh, sometimes, though, you wish the hourglass weren't winding down so fast, but it is what it is, and we want to make the most of it while we have life. So, uh, and, and having you on the show is a part of making the most of it. So, again, thanks. You know, Kevin, you were recently a guest speaker at Jim Grant's Spring 2017 conference. And since many, if not most, of the listeners to this show um, would find that conference beyond their economic reach, I'm hoping that you can perhaps share some of the insights that you shared with that uh, august group. And from the notes that you sent me, I believe uh, you may have started out your speech by uh, saying something like, um, I don't see Michael Lewis in this audience, but that's a shame because I believe that what we're going to see now is the bigger short. Um, you know, Kevin, we're in something like into the eighth or ninth year of a bull market, and both bond markets. I mean, we have a, a major bond market goes back for decades, but uh, in terms of bonds and the, and the equity market, I'm thinking of a major equity market bull since since the last downturn. Uh, if anything, people now feel like this is an indestructible bull market. Um, why are why are you thinking that might not be the case? Well, when Jim introduced me, um, I, I started out with the uh, actually an anecdote that he told back in uh, in the late 1970s, um, standing in line to buy Krugerrands, and uh, of course this was a mistake. And the lesson was, uh, you never stand in line to buy uh, an asset. Uh, it, it, the the bargains are always where there are no lines. So. Um, there are definitely that pretty much describes the bear camp today, and uh, short selling is even worse. The only lines for short selling are, are at the the exit door. Yeah. Um, so what I did was I started with uh, the idea of now. Now keep in mind this audience was was very sophisticated in terms of their investment IQ. But um, I, I had a little bit of a, a learning curve to go up in terms of Austrian economics. So I wanted to start with sort of the you know canned bear case, uh, the surface level stuff, and then go into something deeper. So I started out with uh, an example of the uh, the near extinction of bear funds, where we've seen uh, over the last six years. Bear funds have gone down, uh, assets have gone down 20%, even though uh, ETF assets have, have tripled. And um, and then we got into the, the length. They're just some examples of the, this uh, This bull market is uh, very long in the tooth. As you mentioned, it's, it's eight years long, uh, one of the longest on record, even though the uh, the recovery has been one of the most anemic uh, since uh, World War II. And, um, and and made several cases. The uh, valuations, valuations today are, are very stretched. Um, and I showed a graph of, of the three different bubbles. We had the tech bubble and the, uh, the credit bubble and now the stimulus bubble. And, uh, uh, and each one being very different. So the, the tech bubble, for example, was, uh, was very narrow. 
And if you look at these, and uh, you could look at price to sales, median price to sales is higher today than it was in 2000. Um, I showed a graph of uh, the total market capitalization of a Wilshire 5000 to GDP, and you can see these different uh, peaks. And, and uh, uh, but the the tech bubble was very narrow. It, it was a lot of money just went into tech, and you actually had an anti bubble in in the old economy stocks. The credit bubble was a little bit broader, but it was still really focused on housing and the credit sector. And this bubble is uh, much, much broader. So that's, uh, that's one of the differences that we're, we're seeing today. Um, sentiment was, uh, was another part of the bear case. Uh, we've got extreme sentiment. The investor's intelligence poll has been, had been over 60% for, oh, I think, six weeks in a row. Um, levered, and we could go on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could, I could probably list eight, eight different sentiment indicators, and, and they're all uh, at, at extremes. Um, leverage, tremendous amount of leverage in the system. Uh, margin debt is uh, the most recent reading was 513 billion, which is a record. Um, the, the, you know, it's funny. The, the bulls like to. Uh, uh, there, there are kind of um, there's always rationalizations that you see at the top mm-hmm. of these bubbles, and yes. so the the bulls have have said to to the, uh, a couple of the rationalizations um, uh, that well there is pessimism. People are are pessimistic. Well, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. And um, the other is that there's cash on the sidelines. And uh, so I showed a, a graph of the equity fund cash levels at three percent. They're actually mm-hmm. Uh, the latest reading was 3.1%, but this is the lowest since I believe 1972. Before mm. wow. before that 72-74 bear market, which was in, in inflation-adjusted terms, it was the worst since 1929 uh, to 1932. Right. So um, you know these were these are kind of the surface level reasons uh, for the uh, the bear case that I, I got into. Uh huh. Well, you know, I'm looking at your chart here that shows the three bubbles, um, and the credit bubble was was worse, was higher uh, than was the tech bubble, and now we have a stimulus bubble that is far greater than everything else. You mentioned the tech, the credit bubble being broader. The tech bubble was mostly in that sector. It seems as though not only are these bubbles getting getting greater, but also broader. Is that a fair? Uh, is that a fair assessment? I mean, certainly we have a, you're calling this the stimulus bubble, which is affecting everything in the economy, more or less. I mean, obviously, asset prices have benefited far more than uh, than a lot of other prices, but uh, wages, for example. But uh, is your case then for this being the bigger short, uh, the fact that there's even greater distortions caused by this massive monetary stimulus now? Uh, is that why you think uh, we may be in for an even bigger decline now than we were in 2008-2009? Right. So if we go through these these bubbles, um, this bubble is broader. And you, you had mentioned it earlier that uh, we've had a 35-year bull market in, in bonds, and that appears to have peaked last July when uh, $13 trillion dollars in uh, in bonds were in uh, negative uh, had negative yields, mm-hmm. um, 
and uh, so we've had this this uh, this series of, of bubbles. And the way I look at it is like let's start with the tech bubble. The tech mm-hmm. bubble had, um, in terms of debt buildups, all these bubbles have have had uh, you know, an expansion of the Fed balance sheets, but they've had debt buildups along the way. So the first one, you had about a trillion dollar increase in in telecom debt. That's where the the malinvestment took place. The second one, the credit housing and credit bubble, you had about a five trillion dollar increase in mortgage debt. Uh, this bubble, you've had it's really been at the sovereign debt level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now, mortgage debt uh, since the peak in two thousand eight has actually gone down a little bit. It's gone down, uh, I think, um, about four hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. But we've had we've had. Um, We've more than made up for that in terms of consumer debt, which has gone up about 1.6 trillion. Mm. And uh, but the but the big gains this time have been in sovereign debt. So um, uh, in this country, about 10 trillion dollars in new sovereign debt. And then you look at places like China, where where they've had uh, I, I believe about a 20 trillion dollar or 25 trillion dollar increase in in debt. So um, this is where. You know, every every cycle, it's um, the debt buildups are kind of going parabolic, and then I think if we look at the economically what's going going on, the foundation each time the foundation the economic foundation is getting eroded more and more. That's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. So it really boils down ultimately to what the economy is doing, Kevin, and 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 certainly uh, it. There seems to have been a disconnect, a major disconnect, since 2008, 2008, 2009, with the the owners of assets getting richer and richer, and the uh, the middle class, the uh, I would say the people that produce things that are used and so forth, uh, are not faring very well. Um, do you think this will have an impact ultimately on the stock market, or can the the Federal Reserve continue to pump money into the system indefinitely, or or what would cause it to break down? I mean, obviously, uh, as, you know, as David Stockman says, uh, whenever the market heads down by any degree at all, the, it throws a hissy fit. He calls it, and the Fed starts to stimulate, or the language coming out of Janet Yellen will suddenly become dovish. So, how long can this go down, and what? on earth could cause it to to change well that's a that's a question that we could we could spend uh, hours talking about um, and I, I think part of this gets into basic economics I mean the the immediate answer is that uh, you know knowing how long this can go on is is next to impossible mm-hmm. um, but it's already gone on far longer than it should have gone on and far far longer than I think any of us would have imagined. Um, what I tried to get into in this, this talk, and it was a brief talk, so it was, it's very difficult to get into the Austrian theory of the business cycle, but I tried to explain um, how this works, how a normal interest cycle works where um, you have uh, basically delayed gratification. You have the idea of... Um, not consuming everything. I mean, almost going back to the uh, the desert island and Robinson Crusoe. Well, mm-hmm. you know, how does he uh, initially? He's just trying to survive. He's just trying to scrounge around and find enough food to survive. But at some point, he's got to start to save some coconuts, and he's got to devote other resources, namely his time, to building tools. So. 
you know, it starts, this whole process starts with saving, it's um, deferring consumption in order to save, invest in projects and to have greater consumption and projects and tools and have greater consumption in the future. And the interest rate is very uh, important to coordinate mm -hmm. this um, uh, this preference, this, this time preference in terms of do I want to have it now or would I rather have more later. So if, if you're willing to lower your time preference, you're going to have higher savings. That will bring interest rates down. If people have to have it now, this, the, um, they, they have a high time preference, you're going to have high interest rates. That's the way the market, the free market works. Mm -hmm. um, interfere with that, and through fractional reserves and through fiat money and central banking, and you have... Um, uh, a uh, an artificially priced uh, price of, of credit, and uh, this is where the the trouble starts. So, um, if if you have artificially low interest rates, then you're sending conflicting signals to both the producers and the consumers. Um, to the producers, go go and take on these long term projects um, uh, with lower and lower returns since mm -hmm. interest rates are low. To the consumer. Hey, keep spending. You don't need to set aside uh, savings. So you have a low savings rate coinciding with low interest rates and uh, projects being taken on. The problem is that that resources are now being consumed at both ends, both by the consumer and by the producer. So mm -hmm. the producer is uh, they're taking on these projects and assuming that the resources are there. Well, the resources at some point. Um, they re realize that they're not there, and you know that is summing up very briefly the the Austrian theory of the business cycle, and and it explains why this can't it can't work. Right. Uh, that this will eventually um, you will run out of resources and you won't be able to complete these projects and you will have uh, a bust. Mm -hmm. um, so you know putting this off only makes it worse. So we've seen this happen. We've had the tech bubble. We've had the credit bubble, and um, you know it, 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 the tech, the credit bubble worse than the tech bubble. Uh, as long as you have a fiat money system, um, one that in which you can stimulate, um, it, it just seems like it can go on. And as you say, it's impossible to know when it's going to stop. But what we do know, what you're arguing, I think, is that ultimately the system collapses itself. I'm looking at a debt chart, total debt to GDP, and we're seeing almost an exponential growth in the total debt, and yet GDP, even if you take the government's numbers to be uh, truthful and, and accurate, is growing at most in a very slow, linear fashion. So at some point, Kevin, the system breaks down, it becomes insolvent, it's not just only illiquid, but insolvency, and then what the, the only answer they've come up with so far is to print even more money. So how does this get resolved? I mean, I'm seeing an increasingly insolvent system with debt growing much ra more rapidly than income to service that debt. Uh, you would think that ultimately you should have some sort of an implosion like we had in 2008, 2009. But then won't they just come back and start printing more money and telling you you have to use that money? Uh, they will. And, and, you know, Jay, the, the honest answer is I'm not sure how all this gets resolved. Um, you know, what I'm concerned about is, is how do I navigate through all this and, and how do I try to protect myself? And, 
And, you know, one of the things that we've seen with these bubbles is that they can't go on forever. Yeah. Um, they never go on forever. I mean, by postponing the day of reckoning, it, it, uh, you're, you're making it worse. Um, you can't repeal economic law. So we have that on our side. And we also notice that uh, there are always cracks that appear. And the cracks, as long as you paper over, uh, these cracks, they just get wider and wider. Yeah. And we've seen this first with uh, the commodity bubble that we saw in 2011. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen some uh, some incredible busts. We've, we've seen billionaires in, in Brazil go bankrupt. So it's not like the Austrian theory of the business cycle fear that this has been repealed. Right. It hasn't, okay? It's already been, been playing out. And this is a process. Um, you're already seeing this pl- these cracks now appear in the uh, in the U.S. consumer, and even though the high end consumer has done well because because stocks and bonds, is, the paper assets are are in nosebleed territory, um, but you're seeing the middle class consumer really get hurt, and a lot of and not only that. Um, a lot of these uh, these retailers and consumer related companies they're having to compete with um, with with technology with e-commerce. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you look at the, the the new low list. I think it's expanding right now, and um, it's just littered with with fossil and uh, and and mall reits and and um, Under Armour uh, finish line just re- reported. Uh, same store sales down and Kohl's. I mean, it, just across the board, you're seeing, and I think this is a sign that uh, something is really wrong with this picture right now. Even though the stock market is is near all time highs, uh, I think uh, we're, we're seeing these cracks, and the cracks will just keep getting wider and wider. And at some point, uh, you'll have this uh, sort of the wily coyote moment. Um, and it'll be a long way down. So the question now, with with about two minutes left, Kevin, is how do we prepare for that? What is the bearing fund doing now to prepare for this day? You're short the market. Uh, talk just a little bit. Maybe you own some gold. What are you doing? Well, we we are hedging. We're trying to do almost the impossible, which is hedge against three three risks. One is front and center. The, the business and economic risk, and we're doing that by short selling. Uh, the second is uh, a growing risk at the sovereign level, and we're doing that by shorting especially these um, ultra-low uh, interest rate government bonds like uh, German Boons and Italian 10-year uh, uh, bonds and, and Japanese government bonds. And we can do that with... Uh, uh, I think very, very compelling risk reward, and then finally currency risk, and I think that is probably the last act in this play, uh, and we're doing that uh, mainly through gold and also with gold stocks. But um, right now, we feel that the the most important, the, the the clear and present danger is the economic risk. We think a bust is coming. It's already started in the consumer area, and um, I mean we're we're shorting. Um, the the, uh, the auto uh, auto finance mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. for example. I mean, you can look at you know look at charts of like an auto nation. The the stock market since the uh, since the the uh, election is up about um, uh, almost ten percent. The S and P five hundred, right. and it's been led by financials uh, almost double that. But um, but you've got AutoNation is only up about 5%, and even a 
Simon Property Group is is actually down six and a half percent. And as I said, a lot of these consumer names are starting to make new lows. So there's a a real dichotomy going on right now, and I think uh, investors should pay attention to that. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, just one more thing: if could you tell our listeners how they might learn more about your fund and and what is the threshold? I know it's it's not for. I mean, it is really for accredited investors, obviously people with some means. Uh, but if there's some people listening to this show that might have the ability to invest in your fund, uh, how can they go about doing that? Okay, well, we have a, a website, and it's Bearing Asset, uh, Bearing as in ball bearing, um, or bear uh, as in grizzly bear, and uh, bearingasset.com. Um, and the site is really designed for, there's a lot of uh, educational material on there. Good. Um, and then we have uh, actually two funds. Um, we have a very aggressive uh, insurance policy against these three risks, uh, which is the bearing fund, and the minimum is 250000 And then we have a, um, a, a more conservative version of that, which is called the bearing core fund, and uh, the minimum is 500000 mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Kevin, for being with us, and uh, I hope we can catch up with you again sometime in the not-too-distant f- future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, uh, my guest is going to be former Federal Reserve economist Daniela DiMartino Booth. She's going to talk about her book, Fed Up, and she'll explain why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. And I have an idea, at least, that some of the, her ideas may uh, coincide with what we just heard from Kevin. So I hope that you'll join me next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on its Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. 
Arvista Gold's only asset is the Douay Gold Project, which is located in northern Quebec. The Douay Project currently hosts an NI43101 resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be the largest undeveloped and independent gold project in Quebec. Arvista has significant upside potential to further grow its resources and is currently undergoing an extensive 2017 drill campaign. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA and on the OTCQB under the Symbol ARVSF. For more information on Arvista, please visit arvistagold.com. TriMetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com.